This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 183, I believe. You can go back and check it. Uh, I am Joel Hollingsworth. Uh, as always, I'm joined by Will Shelton. Will, how's it going? I'm great, man. Uh, I'm. Uh, we beat Kentucky, and yeah, that was awesome. Good. And was everybody awesome. was feeling great, and you know, we were like, you know, what we should do. We should talk about it. And then, yeah, uh, Tennessee played a, a less fun basketball game. Uh-huh. Not, not even like to me anyway. Not even entirely Tennessee's fault that it was the less fun basketball game. So uh, we're still going to talk about it. Just, you know, a different kind of, uh, a different kind of aesthetically pleasing slash non-pleasing performance there uh, against Arkansas. Yeah. So I'm interested in your, maybe it wasn't our fault comment. So we'll come back to that. Um, what, uh, what, what are you wearing there? It looks like a very fancy hoodie. No, it's it's a Nike it's a Nike Tennessee checkerboard hoodie. Oh well, it looks good nice. for Christmas. I think my mama got it for me for Christmas, uh, and my dad. I'm sure he was involved too. But uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> did he go? What is it? Because that's what I usually end up doing at Christmas when we give gifts to the kids. You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, what is that? No, I'm I'm guilty on that one as well. Alex would be the primary gift giver. Uh, in our household no I, my dad obviously big Tennessee fan so I'm sure he was he was pro this hoodie but uh, yes it is it, I am I'm wearing a, a Tennessee hoodie not just pretending to be a fan I'm actually wearing the gear and I'm drinking coffee out of a Peyton Manning pro football hall of fame class of 2021 uh, mug because my father-in-law was in Canton Ohio uh, last year and got me one of those so Yes, I I brought the merch, even though if you're listening to this, you can't, you can't see, see it. any of it. Yeah, but it's all right. I mean, Will is looking sporty, is, is what I'm trying to tell you. It's one of those uh, like nylon kind of looking things. It's black and shiny. And it's got dry fit on it somewhere. I think that's what I'm looking for right now. Yeah. Even so though it's a hoodie. It's a wicking material, I'm sure. Although it might be legal. But I didn't say that. So, <laughs> just a little uh, history um, coming in there. So, usually when we do these podcasts, we uh, we have a plan. Uh, we have questions planned out. It's like, hey, we're going to talk about this then, and then this other thing later, and then uh, you know, it's it's like a well-oiled machine. And as you can tell uh, from the beginning of this one. Um, <laughs> we didn't do that this time. So uh, we're winging. We're just going to, we're just giving the signal for, hey, run the motion offense and see what happens. So that, that, that's where we are headed. But so let, first, um, let's talk about um, Kentucky because we don't want to, we don't want Arkansas to uh, overshadow. Uh, that was a, that was a fun, fun game. Uh, Kentucky was ranked number four. I think at the time they were um, seated higher in most of the um, bracketology things. Am I right about that? Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think it was like a one, one point uh, spread either way, whether you were looking at humans or computers. And um, 
it turned out not to be that. And so uh, Tennessee won 76 to 63, um, totally dominated in that first half. Um, the, the statistics are amazing. Um, 44% from the floor, which, you know, that's average, except that uh, we held them to 34 uh, per percent. Um, three point percentage, 47%. We were hitting almost half of our three pointers. Uh, free throws, we were 20 of 23, and we had more free throws than they did. They did uh, 14 attempts. Uh, so we had an 87 percentage there. Um, offensive rebounds with Shibway in there, they got 18. That, you know, we knew that was going to happen. Uh, we only got six. Um, but uh, let's see, we had eight blocks in that game. And I think that was um, probably maybe the difference in, in, in the game because Shibway, that dude is legit. He's really, really good. And the game plan for him was superb. On, on offense, it was put Fulkerson, uh, who's uh, almost as tall. Well, he's close to being – no, he's probably the same, same height, but he's, he's fast. And so you can put him out at the uh, top of the key and let him drive and get him into foul trouble, which, if I remember right, we did. We got him into two fouls uh, early in the second half. So he didn't play a lot of minutes in the first half. And then we did some more of that in the second. I don't think he ever fouled out or was in any real danger, but um, I don't know. Am I, did I get that wrong? Did he foul out? No, no, okay. no, that's right. I mean, that's, that's the best plan for that guy. Anyway, if Tennessee sees him again on Saturday or Sunday in the SEC tournament, I mean, he's, if you hold that guy to 12 and 12, you've done a great job. So, I mean, yeah. the, we got enough data on it to say, the best thing you do with that guy is, is try to get him out of the game. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, Barnes has had good success going all the way back to Armani Moore with, uh, like you said, Fulkerson's not undersized, but he's undersized compared to that guy. And Tennessee has had success. Obviously, Barnes has had incredible success against Kentucky. And a lot of it has been taking an undersized big and attacking those guys and putting them in positions to defend in ways that they um th that they're maybe not used to used to defending out there yeah and then uh a do what is the official way of pronouncing his name he, he came out uh, yeah i need to look it up in the in the media guide or the official thing uh, rick barnes says it really fast jonas Adu. Uh, okay. and and so but i don't know if that's correct or not i just like the way that barnes I like people when they have a name where you can just say the first name and the last name real quick like that. So Jonas Adu is what I hear Rick Barnes saying. So that's what I'm going to keep calling him, at least for now. All right, cool. Uh, so Jonas Adu, um, I didn't realize that dude is tall. He's, he's huge. Um, he's not as big as uh, Plotsich, um, but he is much taller than I thought he was. And I think he might have a, a – longer reach maybe than Plopsic. Maybe not, but he's definitely more athletic. And uh, he had uh, several blocks. And then um, 
I think it was him that had so many of those blocks because he just seemed to be a real disturbance uh, to Shibway and everybody else who came near the rim when he was in the game. He got a lot of minutes. He played really well and uh, made a big, big difference. So those are my thoughts. I, I mean, mostly just stats, but I totally enjoyed the game. It was fun. Seemed, seemed like a uh, raucous, fun atmosphere. Always fun to beat Kentucky. Um, we didn't beat them by 28 like they beat us, but it was a beatdown. Uh, so it was fun. Yeah, and again, it's still true after Tennessee beat them by 13 that in Ken Pomeroy's data, which we love, this is the third best Calipari Kentucky team. And the first two are the team that won the national championship with Anthony Davis and the, the 2015 team with Carl Anthony Towns that was undefeated until they lost in the final four. So like being, being third best among Calipari Kentucky teams means you're real, real, real good. That means right now, anyway, in Ken Palm, they're higher rated than the 2019 team that Tennessee beat twice. And, and that team, it, it felt so valuable to beat that particular that PJ Washington and those guys, because Tennessee was so good too. It felt like Tennessee's best was beating Kentucky's a really good Kentucky team that year. But this current team is also more highly rated than the John Wall DeMarcus Cousins team. And, and it, again, Joel and I've been doing this a long time. That team is 12 years ago now, which is hard to believe, but it's, it's become regular for Calipari's Kentucky teams to have, to have teams that have two NBA all-stars on the floor at the same time. It doesn't happen every year, but it happens for these guys a lot, the way they recruit. But when it happened the first time, that that team had such a mystique about it. And John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins did end up to go on and, and have you know really good to great NBA careers. So uh, Tennessee was able to beat those guys. And that team went all the way to the Elite Eight and just couldn't shoot and lost to West Virginia. But this Kentucky team – night in night out is playing a little bit better than them too right now so it's this is again if you like the Pomeroy stuff this is one of the six or seven best teams that Tennessee has beaten in the last 20 years just in terms I know they've beaten teams ranked higher than fourth that might not you know it might fall a little further down the list but it's you're not just getting a top five win this is a legit super talented super good college basketball team and, yeah, Tennessee really um, just had their way. I thought it was really satisfying. It wasn't 28 points, like you said, but um, Kentucky's ceiling should be higher than Tennessee's ceiling based on the amount of talent they have on their roster. And that game in Lexington was a ceiling game, you know, if, if we've ever seen one. So to, to take the worst – again, this is all Pomeroy's data and stuff, but the game in Lexington is the worst defensive performance by Tennessee against anybody in 20 years – and to go from that to be able to turn it around plus 13 the other way uh, and, and to really play well defensively, I thought, too, is just just a really, really good sign. That's Again, when you said we don't have a plan for this podcast, this podcast was birthed out of, man, we're having so much fun right now. Let's talk about this team more. Uh, and, yeah. and I feel like, and Joel, you tell me what you think, but I, I feel like even losing to Arkansas, like I was kind of braced for a, a loss Saturday. Um, you had potential letdown with all the high emotions. We were just due one in part. You know, we'd, we'd won so many in a row. Arkansas is a good team playing at home. So, like, I wasn't overly bothered by it, or I was prepared not to be overly bothered by it anyway. 
yeah. best of intentions. Uh, and then Auburn losing gave it stakes all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, of course, the the officiating was just not uh, just no. just not clean either way. I thought. No. Um, and and it wasn't a lot of fun to watch. So my question to you, I guess, would be, do you still feel like like I still feel pretty much the same about Tennessee as I did before Saturday? I'm bummed we still need more help now to, to win the SEC, but I still feel like this is a good, fun, really fun to root for basketball team that has a really high ceiling, but also, you know, against an elite defensive team. Uh, can have some problems, but my like my enjoyment of this team and this season as a whole, uh, not not incredibly, you know, delayed or or you know subdued based on just a, a not very fun Saturday in Fayetteville. Yeah, so uh, I felt exactly the same way as you. Um, super high after uh, Kentucky, which you know we're fans too. Um, we, we've observed it in. Uh, you know, the, the, the people that are kind enough to visit us, um, but we live it too. Uh, it goes up and down. And uh, so super high after uh, Kentucky. And, you know, I mean, Vescovy, I mean, the dude is, I don't know even what to say. He's, he's gotten so good. Um, and, and, and improve so much. And I don't think they ever take him off the floor. He's, he's like there all the time. Um, so he was a high scorer um, uh, for Tennessee against Kentucky, but uh, Chandler was, was right behind him. Chandler can be a little uh, more inconsistent. Um, but then we had two other guys, Fulkerson and Ziegler, both with uh, 14. So it was all around team effort there against Kentucky. Um, Looking at the blocks, I wanted to make sure that I was right that, that, that Jonas Adu uh, was uh, responsible for most of the blocks, and he was. He got three out of the eight. Uh, but listen to the people who got the others. Uh, Vescovy, he got one. All right. And he, he you know, he's not, he's not a, you know, he's not known for his jump, right? <laughs> so, uh, and then you got James got one, and, you know, that's expected. Fulkerson got one. Okay, he's tall. And you know, oh, and then uh, Justin Powell got one. But you know, got the last one? I do not. Ziggler. 5'9 Ziggler got a block in the game. I hope it came against, you know, Shibway or somebody because that would have been really fun. But anyway, so yeah, that was that was great. Um, super fun. Um, and then I was like, okay. When I did the preview for Arkansas, I was like, well, this is, this is two points either way again, um, just like Kentucky was. Uh, the computers and the uh, – um, put this cord. Uh, the computers and uh, the humans were kind of at odds again, if I remember right. Again, never trust my memory. I don't. But uh, – so uh, I was I was ready for a letdown. Uh, I knew that turnovers uh, were just looking at the numbers. Turnovers were going to be a problem, and fouls were going to be a problem. And um, 
those were the big, biggest challenges. And that's kind of how it played out. The worst part was that the fouls came against our best players and that took our best players out of the game for significant periods of time. And, and you're right, the, the officiating, uh, terribly inconsistent um, both ways. It, it, it hurt both teams. Um, and I don't know how you play when, when you don't know what the officials are going to call, what they're not going to call. Um, but um, I thought we had the right game plan going in, trying to keep, uh, you know, close to the basket and uh, keep pace with them on the foul line. Um, and we mostly did that for most of the game. Um, I kept my eye on a little fouls thing down in the, you know, the, the score thing. Um, and we were generally neck and neck on fouls, but the problem was um, it was our best guys. And I know that they lost no day, um, but it was three of our best guys and one of theirs. And then that Williams guy who looks like uh, John Legend from the nose up, I think, without the hair. Um, I, I, if he wasn't on, you know, the team that beat us, I'd love that dude. Um, he was so good. Um, and then, uh, you know, it just, again, I, I was ready to, to lose it and uh, figured, you know, those guys are just really good at home. They're a good team. They're hot. Um, but I was also feeling good about Tennessee. Tennessee was a good team, uh, hot. And it was an opportunity on the road for uh, another quad one win. So wanted that. But I knew it was going to be a challenge just because of the numbers. Um, and then, like you said, I watched Auburn lose to Florida. And then I saw your, your tweet. Yes, I was on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> I saw your tweet. And uh, it was like, okay, we control our own destiny. And that's cool. Um, where I'm at now, though, is regular season conference championship in men's basketball is kind of like a consolation prize anyway. You know, it's a tournament sport. This is for me. I, I can see the disagreement in your eyes. So I'll let you speak in a minute. But, uh, you know, it's a tournament sport. It's you got you to gotta be the team standing at the end. And it's not over until it's over for you, right? So I don't really even care that much about the SEC tournament. Um, but all of this adds up to better seating. So, you know, the more we can improve our seating, that's good. Um, I don't know whether we can get to a two seed um, if we beat, if we win out and beat Auburn at home. Did Thompson Bowling? Maybe, maybe not. Depends with depends on what happens with the other teams. But uh, I don't know. I I'm just I'm really not as concerned about wins and losses um, before the especially close ones um, before the the tournament, the big tournament especially, and the little tournament uh, a little bit um, because. Um, it's more to me about how is the team playing? Have they figured stuff out? And do they have uh, 
experience now with the with teams that that are similar to the ones that they've had to play and were able to learn from. So like that they lost to Kentucky, figured it out, and went back and beat them. Um, we'll see if they do the same thing with Arkansas because uh, they're coming uh, right to Thompson Bowl in the next couple of weeks, I think. And uh, so I'm more interested to see in how much um, – how well they are congealing? Are they peaking at the right time? And um, do they have experience uh, that will that could come into play in a positive way during the tournaments? Other than that, wins and losses, uh, it's only for seeding. And as long as you get a decent seed, I think it's okay. The format. So you disagree? I think. Let, let me let me hear your thoughts. Well, I, I just slightly, uh, my favorite part about the, um, similar to what you just said, Mark Pankratz on Twitter, he's a former Bruce Pearl assistant, uh, does a lot of local media and that sort of thing. I love that guy. Yeah. When, when we lost to Arkansas after Auburn had lost, Pankratz tweeted out something similar to what you said, that the real prize is in March, conference championships or whatever. And it's part of his argument was, do you even remember who won the SEC in 2018? Which I thought was so funny because do you know who won the SEC in 2018? We did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But like, so my thing with the tournament sport thing is, you know, don't don't miss chances to celebrate things in the regular season because you're gonna it's it's gonna end poorly for you in the tournament unless you win the whole thing. Now, Tennessee. Uh, having never been to the final four, there is a non-national championship goal out there that would, that would cause, you know, tremendous elation if we could get, could get to it, or even the elite, eight. the elite eight's harder to celebrate because you just got to turn around and play it again. When, yeah. when you, I assume when you make the final four, you, you get a week to celebrate it. Um, as opposed to when you make the elite eight, you win the sweet 16 game, but then you, if you're going out, you just lose 48 hours later. So we've only done that once uh, to, to kind of know about it. But um, I, as far as wins and losses, I, I do agree with you on that point. And I think we've written about this. The, the gap is just pretty narrow this year. Uh, you, you can take Gonzaga if you want. That's fine. Um, but because they've lost twice, they don't have the same kind of, oh, I don't want any part of that team feel now let me say somebody there's going to be a good four seed that gets in gonzaga's region and they're not going to like it and hopefully tennessee stays away from that but other than that um because tennessee has beaten kentucky and arizona and and looked very convincing in both of those games for stretches that those were not games tennessee won because they were lucky um it just kind of makes me less afraid of anybody at this point in time. Um, And so that being the case, I feel like there's not a lot of, even the argument of, Oh, we could get to a two seed instead of a three seed. You know, you're going to get a better opponent in the first round, but the thing about this Tennessee team, and I I say this, uh, I've said this on the radio a bunch with Josh and Heather, this team behaves according to the nature of its schedule better than any better is not the right word. They, they're just more consistent as to who they're playing and where than any Tennessee team I have ever seen. 
Yeah, Anybody exactly. they play at home, they beat, including Kentucky and Arizona. And when they go on the road or at a neutral site against the top 20 team, they lose. And they beat everybody else. Uh, and, and they carved up North Carolina. North Carolina is not – that's a quad one win, but it's not like an elite win. But they carved up North Carolina at a, at a neutral site, so that certainly should be included as well. But um, they, they just – the games that you feel like they should win, they win. And the games you feel like that maybe they they should not be the favorite in, they lose. Uh, and some of them, you know, the Villanova loss, it's early in the year. That that wasn't fun. Again, Kentucky and Rupp, hats off to them. They're going to beat anybody playing that way. But the others um, lost to LSU and Baton Rouge, but got revenge for that, you know, two weeks later. The others, Texas Tech, neutral site, overtime Texas at Texas had a three at the buzzer to win it um, Alabama in Tuscaloosa without Kennedy Chandler and John Fulkerson and almost won that one too so and then Arkansas um, Saturday so uh, the good news about that is we're done with, with, with all apologies to Conzo and Mizzou where we're headed Tuesday night and Georgia where we're headed next week you know we're done with with challenging road tests what we got left is Auburn and Arkansas at home to see if that still holds true. If Tennessee can still beat Auburn and then beat Arkansas in Thompson Bowling, and then it's neutral side the rest of the way. Um, and there's there's no you know um, the first and second round uh, sites are one thing, but there's there's nobody in like the the Eastern the the NCAA tournament Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight sites suck. Uh, if you're a team from the southeastern United States, because you're going to San Antonio, Chicago, Philadelphia, or San Francisco, I mean, there's just no, there's nowhere close. So you're not going to create a great like home court advantage if you're Tennessee uh, in any of those places. And you would just hope to avoid like you know I don't I don't super want to play Baylor in San Antonio or Villanova in Philadelphia, but. Um, it's it's going to be neutral sites more or less the rest of the way. So yeah, I, I feel I feel like Tennessee, just who they are, uh, is is pretty good and very reliable, like alarmingly reliable. Really pretty kind of performance. Yeah, yeah, and and it, their shooting numbers, and we've written about this too. If Tennessee makes thirty percent of their threes, they win, and if they make forty percent of their shots. They win. Now, those two numbers go much more hand-in-hand hand with this team because this team takes so many more threes. There are – I looked at some of this today and thought about writing about it, and I'm not sure there's enough story there to write about. Just to say, you look at some of the recent Tennessee teams under Barnes, and they could have a really off night shooting threes, but they would still win because they were much more focused on scoring inside the arc. It, not just the Grant Admiral team, but the, the Fulkerson team, the all-SEC Fulkerson team from 20, that team was really bad. You know, Jordan Bowden couldn't get it going all year. He, he had he was used to getting open looks, and he had nothing but contested looks that whole season. But Fulkerson was great. They were great at scoring inside the arc, and so they won some games. Even though that was probably going to be an NIT team before the pandemic, they won some games when they shot it really poorly from the arc because they could get it inside so much more often, whereas – this team now takes so many more threes. If they don't have it from three, that usually means they don't have it, period, because that's such a high percentage of their offense. So um, 
you know, I, I, I think, I think I would love to write that in three weeks and say, look, here it is for Tennessee. We need 30% from the arc. If we get it, we're going to win. And if we don't, then we're going to get into some of these Texas Tech, Texas, Arkansas, Alabama, um, uh, the Ole Miss game in Knoxville. You're going to get into some of those games where it's going to be very ugly. You're going to need the free throw line to be your friend, which sometimes it really is for Tennessee, and sometimes it really is not. Um, and it's it's going to be close, and it's not going to be very much fun to watch. Um, but we don't need much, man. I mean, we need 30%. And Tennessee, it's actually 29%. When Tennessee shoots 29% or better from three, they've beaten everybody they've played this year except for Kentucky and Rep. Just, just again, we've been doing this a long time. Even some of the Pearl teams that, that we loved so much, those guys throw out a stinker and not a Rupp Arena stinker, uh, but like a, oh, we went to Alabama and lost by 28, or, oh, we lost by 22 to Southern Cal in the non-conference. Um, this team would do that. I mean, hopefully not. I hope, you know, we're, we're not in for one of those against Missouri or Georgia. But after that, you know, we're, we're done with those games. So um, I just I feel like they are who they are and who they are is really good. If they can get, you know, this this many shots, you can't see me, but, you know, just a teeny bit of magic from three. Not, not magic, just 30 percent. And when that happens, we've we got what we need to to get it done. And I think that I think that will travel. If that holds up, if we're still talking about that three weeks from now, that means that whether Tennessee is a two seed or a three seed, whoever they play in the second round is not going to be a top 20 kind of team that, that has, you know, been what's required to beat Tennessee at this point in time. So, I, you know, I think this – it feels to me like a team that we can trust. And I know that's a good way to get your heart broken, but it's – it's uh, there's something good in that. They're just – it just feels to me like a team that that we can that we can trust, and that whether they win the SEC or not, they've already given us the Kentucky win, the Arizona win. You know, they've created really good memories for themselves. And on top of all that, just super fun. Plavsic, Ziegler, and, and maybe Jonas Adu we can add to the list. But like these guys are just Vescovy. These these are fun personalities uh, on this team, and so I just. Yeah. Even in the midst of a a ugly loss Saturday, like I really like this team a lot. I, like I like them to advance in March, but I just I like them. I like them. Like them. I, they're they're um, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, um, make a really good point about uh, you know not looking so forward to the tournament that you uh, don't live in the moment, but. Um, I'm all for living in the moment on wins and that, uh, you know, on losses, it, it's, I guess that what I meant mostly was, you know, losses, you know, you just gonna kind of blow them off unless there's some reason that was exposed that you might think, uh Oh, somebody's figured something out about us that they can exploit. And we have no way of fixing it in time or whatever. So, um, so while you were talking, uh, actually developed a plan because you mentioned so many uh, interesting things. Um, so we actually right. have, yeah, we we have a plan now. So this this is in game adjustments, all right. 
So I want to talk about uh, the the following four things at least uh, before we get out. Um, what would be the um, it, it have we identified by this point in the season what the kryptonite is for Tennessee? So I, I know you, you you mentioned that the biggest uh, uh, litmus test is three point shooting being over 29, 30%. Um, so what kind of team does that? How did Arkansas do that to us? And then uh, I want to talk about travel, you know, because uh, Kentucky generally travels better than we do. And I know you mentioned the pod being in, in, in bad locations, but do you think that there's a way that uh, we can make travel work for us? Because um, it seems I never realized just how much it really matters in basketball. It matters a lot. I don't know what the uh, uh, number is for uh, you know, uh, computer adjustments for uh, home team, but I'd be interested in knowing that. And then I want to talk about uh, whether it's time for Fulkerson to start again. Um, and then I want to talk about um, some bubble stuff, uh, not bubble stuff, but uh, um, seeding and NCAA tournament, quad one wins and stuff like that. But before we get into all that, that's a teaser. Uh, we're, we're going to uh, have a word from our sponsors. I'm just kidding. We, we, we don't have any sponsors. I was ready. <laughs> I was like, wow, checks in the mail. I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, go buy something from somebody cool, you know. Not local, I don't know. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the uh, kryptonite. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Um, so let let let's go to the kryptonite thing first. Um, last year, I think I identified, or maybe it was two years ago, that there was a certain kind of team that would beat us. So let's look. First of all, let, what did Arkansas do to make us shoot 16% from three? What, what do you think they were doing? Well, I, again, it's hard to talk about Arkansas and not go back to the way the game was officiated. I, okay. I think that Tennessee's – I think we spent the first half of the year trying to figure out, you know, what's plan A for this offense. We thought it might be Fulkerson, Arizona – looked like that was going to be the case. Then he got COVID again. We thought it was going to be Kennedy Chandler at games like at Colorado where he looked so great, but that um, Colorado is not an NCAA tournament team. And, and he's, uh, we really haven't seen him do that, you know, go for almost 30 points against anybody else. So what makes it hum for this team, uh, other than creating turnovers and scoring in transition when they can, what makes it hum for this team is ball movement, shot selection guys taking good shots when when Tennessee for the most part takes good shots they have no problem again we're not asking for more than than 29% from 3 and 39% for the game so um Arkansas defense plus the way the game was officiated took Tennessee out of uh just really crisp and clean flow of its offense and ball movement and being able to create good shots by getting penetration uh, or going inside so i, I think that's that was the biggest part to me. Tennessee had some open looks that just didn't go down. Yeah. And, but I, they I also think. had some that were like blocked, some three-point shots that were blocked. And I don't know, is, is that tall guards 
Um, or, you know, was it was it just a bad shooting night? Sometimes that happens. Um, but it seemed like, I mean, they were making things really good, really good defensive team. I didn't realize that at least they were that, that day. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I, and what other teams have beaten us? So Kentucky, they just had an otherworldly game. Uh, lots of talent, probably tall guard. That's where I'm going to go looking first, I think, is um, do all the teams that have beaten us um, have tall guards? Or do they just have buildings other than Thompson Point? <laughs> <laughs> It's a good question to ask. I mean, so Tennessee's best road win is Mississippi State, right? That's a bubble team, Starkville, like good win. First game after Kumwa was hurt. Um, That's a good, that's a quad one win. That's that's a good win. Um, But our other road wins are Colorado, South Carolina, um, Vanderbilt. These are not NCAA tournament teams, right? So, and, and Missouri and Georgia are not NIT teams. So um, some of it is playing inability to play above a certain level away from home against the very best teams on your schedule. But, uh, you know, when you look at these, like if you look at the where I'm looking right now, at the worst, the, the three-point percentages, worst to best. The worst was the, the Texas Tech game at Madison Square Garden. Tennessee was six for 39. I know Texas Tech was something similar. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't see that game. I was, uh, we were doing job interviews at work and it's the first time, I think I said this before that like, I didn't see it. And I ended up like being really glad that I didn't see it in a, in a close loss. It just seems like it, that no one had fun that night. Um, so that was 15%, 15.4%. Arkansas is second worst, 16.7%, four made threes is the lowest number for Tennessee all year. Um, Villanova's next, 5 of 28. Now, again, that Villanova's November 20th. Villanova also really good. That's another two or three seed kind of team. So um, I, I, I wouldn't put too much stock in that game. Um, Tennessee shot 5 of 23 at Vanderbilt, but they won 68 to 60, but that's 21.7%. Um, then it gets a little better from there, still under that mark. It's 7 of 29 at Alabama, almost won. Um, beat Colorado, shooting 6 of 24 because Kennedy Chandler was way too much for them to handle. Also 6 of 24 at LSU, and the loss at LSU, which, which that one to me was a lot about. The things LSU usually does when they beat Tennessee, offensive rebounding, athleticism, turnovers, that sort of stuff. Um, beat Tennessee Tech, shooting less than, than 29%. Uh, and then Texas – where they ended at five of 18, but they were very bad before the last you know, five or six minutes of that game, right? So um, everything after that is really good. And let me say, like, this, this is an important point. Like, when we talk about ability to um, – Tennessee's not a team that has to knock down all these shots to win because the next game on the list is Arizona, where Tennessee shot – um, Tennessee shot seven of 24 against Arizona. That's 29.2%. So we beat the, either the second or third best team in the country. If you like Pomeroy, not shooting the lights out from three, they shot just, just above the threshold. 
Um, they forced a ton of turnovers, and they got a John Fulkerson game that I'm not sure uh, we're going to see again. Uh, but I was awfully glad to see it when we did. So, so that that's kind of the the mush there of uh, you know what do you think Texas Tech general weirdness in that game as, as far as shooting Villanova is hard for me to go back and and look too hard at that maybe we should before the tournament starts um LSU I don't feel like that shooting was Tennessee still gave up I think 79 points in that game in Baton Rouge so there were other issues there Alabama you don't have your two best players and and still almost got it done so it's it's kind of a I don't I don't know if there is um I don't know it's a good question like is there something defensively that all of these teams have in common that has caused Arizona certainly is a really good defensive team too. Is there, is there something they all have in common that has caused Tennessee a lot of problems in those areas? Or is it just in the case of at least the Texas tech and Texas games, just mucking it up, you know, on, on both and Arkansas, you know, on both ends of the floor, uh, maybe it's something about playing former Southwest conference schools. Um, I hope not. Cause we, you know, we got, we got, you know, uh, other date with Arkansas coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. So while you were uh, uh, talking, I looked at Arkansas's roster. Their starters um, for this game were Note, Umude, and Tony. And uh, – Note is only 6-2, but he didn't play most of the game. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then uh, Tony, 6-6. Umude, 6-6. Those are the guards. Um, I'm looking up uh, Kentucky right now. Uh, let's see who there. Well, we won't wait for all that. But I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look and, and see. It seems to me, you know, our guards, we got we got uh, Chandler, five star guard, um, and Ziegler, who's outplaying, <laughs> right? And uh, and you know, th- these guys are five nine and six one. They're they're not tall guards. They're fast um, pests on defense. Um, Chandler's got um, more reach than he does height. Um, and he's fast as well. He makes really good decisions. Um, very good athlete. Um, so I wonder if arms and length uh, are our problem when it comes to bad three-point shooting. Vescovy, how tall is Vescovy? Um, he's like six four or something. Six three is the uh, basketball reference answer. Okay, so he's he's not that tall either. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't have like a, he doesn't jump that high. And he's got a slow delivery. Um, he's our best shooter, you know, uh, high score. That's why he was getting all the booze, you know, <laughs> yesterday, right. which it took me, you know, a full half to figure out. I wonder if he was, if he knew that was coming. It's a good uh, question. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I, we're looking for kryptonite. What is it? Who do we want? What kind of team do we want to avoid where, where maybe the predictability um, uh, surprises us? So, 
I, th- I think one thing too, just looking back through some data on this as well. Um, uh, when people say, what's the biggest difference with Tennessee's offense between the, the point at Rupp when we were, people were, were losing their minds about the team or whatever. And, and now, and aside from just this, the road schedule getting easier, I think the biggest difference on offense is Josiah started hitting shots yeah. because that guy, that guy is going to play for Rick Barnes. Like there's no scenario. His defense is so good. His rebounding is so good. He's going to play even if he has, you know, some 0 for 6, 0 for 8 kinds of games shooting from three, which earlier in the year, just going back through, again, some of this stuff, like it's hard to pick it out against Texas Tech because everybody was bad. There's, you know, nobody looked good in that game. Villanova, looking at that box score, you've got, the, the shot distribution looks much different than it does for Tennessee. Now that's a game where Victor Bailey played a lot. Uh, Vescovy, I think took 12 threes. It's much more balanced. Now Tennessee gets better looks because they're not looking to the same guys to take all the perimeter shots and all that stuff. But Josiah was a big part of that. I mean, Josiah all year has shot threes, but he struggled, you know, up through, really recently when Tennessee started getting it going. Now he struggled at Arkansas uh, again. And when you're only taking 16 threes, like you just don't have the volume. You don't have the shot attempts really to to make a big difference there. But that's one where, I mean, that guy's going to play. So if I'm, if I'm watching Tennessee in the first round of the NCAA tournament, aside from somebody getting hurt and, and gross foul trouble, like we saw yesterday, what I don't want to see is Josiah, um, going cold because he's going to play like he's he's that guy is going to play a ton and rightfully so. So I think that's a that's kind of a, a, a good piece of um, how to stay away from kryptonite, you know, maybe uh, yeah. which, which again, let me say, like, that's such a good metaphor. Like this is it, this is good. This is the conversation you want to have this time of year is let's look for the things that beat us instead of we spent an hour on this podcast talking about the very obvious things that beat us often, um, you know, so it's, it's a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, just one other thought on that. Um, I wonder if it, you know, the, the volume of three pointers was probably a side effect of the game plan, which was to get to the basket and try to draw fouls. Um, so maybe it has something to do with that. If, if, it's just not in our game plan to, to do it. I don't know. And so you never get into a rhythm. Uh, but let's move on to um, what was the other thing I said? Oh, travel. This doesn't sound nearly as interesting to me now as it did when I wrote it down. But <laughs> just being honest here. Um, so do you happen to know like what the uh, home field, home court, adjustment is that people use when they're uh, trying to predict um, basketball games like for football it's three points yeah it might be the same for basketball it might, it might be three and a half I'm 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 not sure okay well uh, it seems to matter a lot um, and it seems to matter more in basketball than it does football um, maybe that's just this year uh, maybe I'm making that up um, that was a nice use of your mute button there Will he's, he's coughing he's having a coughing fit looks like uh, so um, 
You know, I, I, I don't know, but uh, let's take the SEC tournament, for example, instead of the NCAA tournament, where we really don't have, um, we're kind of at the mercy of the seating and the pods when it comes to ability to get a lot of fans there. Um, so SEC, um, Kentucky often wins and usually they bring most fans. There's some sort of, there's always a talking point when the SEC tournament comes in that the entire gym turns blue because they're the ones that travel the most, right? Um, so, I, you know, I don't have any control over that other than try to go, but, you know, I work and, you know, I don't know what all those Kentucky folks are doing up there. They're all horse farmers and they got their own schedules. I don't know. But well, that's but the the large advantage there this year is the things in Tampa. What's in Tampa? So, what are they yeah. Doing? It oh, it's wow. uh, it's it's been in Tampa like once randomly before. Um maybe the year when we almost won it in 09 when we uh we got Jarvis uh, Vernadoed by Mississippi State uh at the end. That may have been a Tampa year. Which normally a Tampa year is an outrageous advantage for Florida. Yeah, but Florida's but not very good. Yeah. Right, um, but it does become you. You can drive it from Auburn, so like same as look, Auburn smacked us around by twenty points in Nashville when we had a chance to win it a couple of years ago. But you know, I, I wouldn't super want to play Auburn six hours, six and a half hours away from Tampa in the finals or, or something like that. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Kentucky fans have a built-in kind of expectation of going and doing these things. But, um, yeah, Tampa is is a – that's a much if, – if anyone from the Bluegrass is going to get in their car and drive 12 hours for the SEC tournament when they can tell themselves, we could be in Chicago or Philadelphia in a week at the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, you know, that more yeah. power too. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um so mentioning Auburn, this is something that I, I forgot to uh, ask you earlier, but uh, did you watch the end of the Florida-Auburn game or did you switch right over to Tennessee? No, and, I watched it. It was that, – that belongs in a museum. Uh, that okay, was – Yeah. yeah. So did, the, uh, did the word Ubto come to your mind at all <laughs> at, the, at the very end? We used to use that all the time on uh, Rocket Top Top because Bruce Pearl is so good at oh, out-of-bounds yeah. turnovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And he, right. He, he did one to set up the game-winning play. They just missed the shot. Yeah. It may be just because I've never heard Ubto said out loud. I've just, <laughs> just read it on the uh, the live threads yeah. of all those, all those days. But, yeah, I don't even know what, like – if you tried to describe how that game ended to someone who didn't see it, I don't even know what you would say other than but it was like, a, a you know, my son is probably he'll, he'll play his, in his first basketball league, like in the winter next year when he's five. And it looked like what I imagined those kinds of games look like where it was just like, what is anyone doing out here? Uh, but it, you know, where it was advantageous for, for the Gators. So. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. What? <coughs> Sorry, I should have muted. 
All right, let's talk about Fulkerson. Um, I, I did see a story that uh, he was given the opportunity by Barnes to get back into the starting lineup. And he said, no, um, give it to uh, Huntley Hatfield um, and you know I'll come off the bench. And I don't know whether that was motivated by his uh, you know, team first attitude, humility, or hey, uh, me and Ziegler uh, provide this nice second wave in a spark. Um, after the under 16, you know, um, so I don't know, but I wonder if it's time for him to, to get back in the starting lineup, uh, because he, he does have another, um, uh, he's, he's got a different skill set than, um, Huntley Hatfield and, and Huntley Hatfield getting the start. He really doesn't play much after the start. Um, I wonder why they're not starting like Bossage, um, because he's really improved. Um, and yet I still think that, um, except when it comes to rebounds and um, bullying, if you need it, um, Fulkerson's got the advantage over uh, Bossage. So what, what are your thoughts on putting Fulky back in the starting lineup? I, I think they they like <clears> – <throat> there's a mentality component to having Urosh out there. And I don't, I don't know if Barnes thinks of it this way, but if, if you got a hot whistle like we had Saturday, if you got a quick whistle, um, if, you get, if foul trouble on Urosh is no big deal, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that's, that's part of his game. Um, but a quick whistle on Fulkerson, you know, could be, could be more problematic. So yeah. um, – it it uh, it makes me think back of the uh, the 08 Pearl team that even though they they won at Memphis in late February, they were still tweaking the who's going to play point guard for this team like when they were going to the NCAA tournament. So sometimes you don't have you're missing a piece. The good news about this Tennessee team is they their closing lineup is they know what that is. Yeah, but they and, and that they, that includes Fulkers, right? Yeah, yeah. So. And they really like what they get from Ziegler off the bench. I like it too. If the game's going great, I think we're, when he comes in, I think we're getting ready to blow him out. And if the game's not going great, I think, well, he's coming in. So this will, this will help. So, um, but it's that part of who's getting these, these big minutes is, is an unsolved mystery for this team up until the last six or seven minutes of the game, whenever they go to the closing time lineup, because you're right. It it is, um, Jonas Adu uh, got 18 against Kentucky yeah. and Plavsic had 13 and Huntley Hatfield only had nine. Fulkerson, um, after the getting COVID again, um, he was down to 17, 18 minutes a game. But since Kamwa has been hurt, he was back up around 24. All SEC John Fulkerson two years ago, that guy was playing 30 minutes a game. So it's in the history. I don't know if it's in, in his, you, you know, I don't know if he's healthy enough to to do that yeah. right now. And I don't know that Tennessee needs 30 minutes a game from him, but, uh, you know, they, they might need 24. So uh, I, I like – I don't think the starting lineup is broken to the extent of trying to do something to fix it. I'm just curious to see, uh, you know, are these guys going to play – 
Are, are they going to sort it out? Are we going to know going into the first weekend of the NCAA tournament more about here's exactly how many minutes Huntley Hatfield is going to play? It's I mean, Victor Bailey, Justin Powell. That's the same thing where I never know exactly how many minutes Justin Powell is going to play and exactly how many minutes. I mean, Victor Bailey, sometimes he plays two minutes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of those pieces there that are that are not yet figured out. All right, uh, let's talk about the NCAA tournament. So one of the things that you love to see is when they, they pop up these uh, number one seeds or Jimmy Dykes is playing or whatever, you know. Which actually brings me to another question, but we're getting it. Okay, sorry, thinking out loud. Shouldn't do that on the podcast. Um, so we see like the top four seeds. Right, and we see what uh, Gonzaga, we see uh, Auburn, we see, we used to see Kentucky. Are, are, were they in the uh, in the top four in the reveal? They were a two seed in the reveal. So it was uh, Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, and Kansas. Okay, Arizona. Kentucky was Kentucky was next. All right, so Arizona was the other thing I was thinking. So um, we beat Arizona. Um, we got an opportunity to beat Auburn. Um, it's going to be at our place, you know, Florida just beat them. And um, so, and then Kentucky, you know, we split. Um, so I haven't actually looked at the resumes yet, but I'm wondering, I mean, I, uh, I don't know who Gonzaga has played, but like I want to, I want to see how many quad one wins they have. Um, I assume they don't have any bad losses, but um, I'm going to start looking at at some of that stuff. You may know some of this off the top of your head uh, already, but are are we? We were what number eleven, number twelve in the S curve. Eleven. Um, yep. Okay, eleven. So is, is that right? It, it seems a little loaded. Uh, I think it's. I think it's right. Uh, like I didn't. I didn't have a big quarrel with it. I think uh, Texas Tech was right in front of us. They beat us in overtime. Um, I think it's. It. It reflects a lot of what the committee thinks about the Big Twelve because um, you have Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech. Those guys beat each other up a lot, sometimes badly, just like Tennessee and Kentucky have done. But yeah, they're all right there. Um, so the, the and they talked about this on the on the bracket reveal. The Kansas over Kentucky is interesting because Kentucky went to Kansas and, and whipped them. Yeah. But Kansas has the best. Uh, this is this is Bart Torvik's uh, website that has great stuff. Kansas is ten and three against quad one. So um, one thing about almost all of these other teams, which we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and it's still true. Tennessee, the, the list of teams that have no bad losses is very small. It's it's not like a thing that Tennessee does that everybody does. When you look around at who has not lost to quad two, quad three, or quad four, that is a very, very small list. Uh, and so it, Kansas has got a bad loss. Uh, you know, Purdue, some of these other teams have picked up bad losses, and Tennessee has not done that. So – I'll be curious to see where that pops in. The thing they said the most on the, on the bracket reveal was the um, quad one and two wins. 
Um, Tennessee has 10 quad one and quad two wins. Kansas also leads the way there. They have 15. Baylor has 14. Auburn and Wisconsin have 13. And then there's a big group with 12 and a big group with 11. And then Kentucky and Tennessee have uh, 10 apiece. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think 11 is about right. But I do think it's a team – sometimes we condition ourselves to getting screwed over, you know, in the process or whatever. But I think just when you look at what the chair of the committee talked about, Tennessee's got a really great strength of schedule, the top five strength of schedule in the country right now. And Tennessee has two elite, elite wins. So uh, wherever we're at three weeks from now, I, I don't think it's going to – I think whatever we think is a reasonable projection for Tennessee could go up a little bit, but I think Tennessee's resume is just going to be so strong that it's not going to be like, Oh, this team we felt like was a three seed, but they ended up at five or something like that. Cause Tennessee just has too many like very tangible, non-argumentative things on their resume that are, I, I would hope anyway, are, are impossible to ignore. So I, yeah, I think 11 was about right. Um, I think a three seed is about right. But again, I don't think there's a huge gap between two and three this year. All right. Well, that's going to do it for uh, this episode of the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you reading. Um, we, I have started posting again. Uh, I hope to continue doing that so we have uh, more content than we have had through most of the um, season. Uh, appreciate everybody's uh, indulgence in my in my recovery. So that was cool. Thank you. Um, so I think that's going to do it. Uh, stay tuned for uh, bonus coverage after the music uh, for our Patreon subscribers. And again, we we don't have any Patreon subscribers, uh, just like we don't have any sponsors. So it's going to be free. You know, consider yourself a Patreon subscriber. But I got a question for Will that uh, we're going to throw up uh, after after the after the meeting. So, thanks for tuning in. We will see you again next time. Go balls. Question I was thinking out loud. Um, who, who's your favorite uh, broadcaster? Uh, who's your favorite uh, play-by-play guy? And who's your favorite uh, color guy? Or, or maybe name the top two. Uh, I, I love play-by-play. Kevin Harlan does a great job. He had our game against South Carolina. It was a random CBS game. Um, he does a lot of NBA stuff that I just I really like. So um, we don't get him a lot, but I, I really like him. Um, he does sound like the NBA to me. I mean, he was doing the NBA back when I was watching. The NBA, okay? Yeah, 
he's and he's done a lot. I mean, even the, like the first Bruce Pearl team, I, I, there's a there's a dunk in one of those tournament games. Stanley Sumnu, buckle up for a Sumnu, like came through and did that. And so, um, yeah, I, I think he's the best. Just at like calling a basketball game, Mike Green that does the the Knicks and does the NBA Finals is really good. But I like Kevin Harlan. Um, you know, I, <laughs> in terms of play-by-play after him and and other CBS guys, um, that's a good question. I mean, if we caught Gus Johnson, uh, you know, if he's doing tournament games, I don't know that he is, but if he was, I would love that. Gus Johnson is always awesome. But don't yeah. limit this to CBS. Because uh, most of our games are on, uh, you know, the ESPN family of networks. Yeah, for for play by play, that's where I'm. I'm. I struggle more. Um, I think Carl Ravitch is is He's good. like not bad. I, I don't. I don't have any problem with him. I'm so used to thinking of him as a baseball guy that oh. it still you know strikes me as odd when he's on our game. So I don't. I don't think he's bad. Um, uh, I, I don't, I can't think of anybody else that I don't have like something that, that, you know, gets me, you know, scratching my head or, or just, you know, some tick that I think that probably says more about me than them. So, um, but I love, I love, uh, analysts. Like, I just think the ESPN, the basketball analysts they have, there's a reason Tell our guys now. Yeah, it's there's a reason that it's been the same group of guys for so long because they're all really good at it. Jay Billis is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Dykes, I mean, yeah. that's another one where we've been he's been calling you know some of our best memories for a long time. And Brad Nessler does a great job. Um, he'll get in, you know, you'll he'll get an NCAA tournament run in there. Um, so we used to see him on with Dykes on ESPN, but he'll he'll get a CBS run. Um, you know, our boy, Dane Bradshaw, I, I think Bradshaw does a great job. He, uh, does, he does a really, really good job. I love listening. Yeah. yeah so I think, uh, I, I think that group is, is just really solid. Uh, and, and you know what you're going to get from, uh, from that group of guys. So it's been the same and like Dick Vital, I know he's not doing anything right now, but when you get Dickie V, you just, you like, you, you know what to expect with that. Uh, so it's, that's a different kind of thing, but, um, yeah, I think that's in thinking about that more, like that collection of ESPN's college basketball color commentators is probably their strongest like group for us for any sport. Um, I just think Billis and Jimmy Dykes. And Adam Bradshaw does a lot of SEC network stuff, but like those, those guys are all really, really good. Um, and I really enjoy all those guys. Yeah. I like Tom Hart a lot as a play-by-play guy, play-by-play yeah. guy too. Yeah. You, you're not so much a fan. I, no, I, I think Tom Hart, Tom Hart has some, has some connection to Knoxville or whatever. And so sometimes I think he is, and it's not just him. I, I think about this with lots of guys in lots of places. I think he is harsher on Tennessee almost on purpose as a way of like, you know, showing that he's not doing whatever. So I think I I really enjoy listening to Tom Hart when he's not doing Tennessee football and basketball. I think he is a really good broadcaster. 
Um, there are some things, maybe it's just football related where we've been bad up until last year for a long time. So he just called a lot of things that I, you know, it was like, this is not a good memory for me. Uh, but so, yeah. I think he is, I think he's a good broadcaster. Yeah. I like him because, uh, at appropriate moments, uh, he and whoever he's calling the game with will actually have some fun. You know, yeah. they'll they'll make some jokes and you know, and when you can get <clears throat> when one of the color guys can actually get him to just laugh out loud, you know, those are those are fun times. The, the the one I struggle with, he doesn't do it, he doesn't do college basketball anymore, I don't think, but when ESPN had Joe Tess doing he did the SEC tournament in 18 or 19 I think it was 18 it was when Alabama had Colin Sexton and Bama was on the bubble and Sexton went the length of the floor in the first round of the NCAA tournament and scored at the buzzer it was a great play and a great win for Alabama but like they put a camera on Tessator to show like his reaction or whatever and I'm like that's that's too much to me like that's (laughs) that's um you know, as far as I'm aware, they don't put a camera on Gus Johnson. Like, like we don't have to, we don't have to go down that, that road. And that may, I mean, you know, I don't know this guy. He, that may have been a, a not a choice that he made. Maybe some producer made that choice, but um, you know, I, I like the John Ward school of, you know, um, no subdue. Voice. Yeah. Well, and, and like be for your team, but be, you know, subdued, subdued leading to moments of, of elation and not constant, you know, elation for the sake of elation. Yeah. John Ward was a master of time. Yep. Um, he would, he was not in a hurry uh, to call a play. And, uh, that just added a level of drama that is really rare in uh, play-by-play guys. So, yeah, I love that. And, in fact, he, he was so full of drama that his color guy blew the most important call of Ward's career when he said, the national champion is clad in. And the, and the yeah. guy jumped in because he couldn't wait for the end of it. Bill Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, again, like all I have is three years of doing Alcoa high school play by play and which the first of those years was 20 years ago now. So, you know, I'm no expert, but it's hard to, it's hard to go slow doing play by play because you've got to create space to let the other guy talk. Yeah. And um, I used to, man, when I, cause I did play by play 020304, and then I became a preacher in 06, and I was so fast on Sunday mornings for a while. I used to write slow down the top of my notes because, like, that was all these reps I had of, you know, Dustin Lindsay goes through the right side of the line for six yards. He's brought down by Smith and Johnson. That's going to bring up third and four. Josh, what did you see there? You know, like, you just got to – you, you got to go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these, like, when Hypel and those guys are out there running – 10 million plays a second. I don't know how I feel bad for those guys trying to, trying to call that game uh, yeah. on the radio, you know, cause I mean, you just yeah. can't, and they've got Pat Ryan doing it now. Who I really, I really like Pat Ryan a lot, but yeah. he, he doesn't get much time to talk. <laughs> yeah. How could he, you know? Yeah. So. And he, he, yeah, he's, he's like me. He's not a, a very fast talker. Um, 
if I remember the, the guy right. He's a former quarterback, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Priest was was quicker. Um, I don't know what happened to him. I, I hope he's uh, doing well. Um, yeah, his his was grandchildren playing sports like high school sports, and he wanted to be. Uh, he wanted to go to those games. And, okay. Yeah. You know, cool. Couldn't couldn't do that, so he uh, yeah. he stepped away from that.